Welcome to the Good Growing Podcast. I am Chris Enroth, horticulture educator with University of Illinois Extension, coming at you from Macomb, Illinois. And we have got quite a show for you today, folks. It is our spooktacular Halloween show. Um, and listeners, if if you're listening and not watching, I uh, apologize, but we are dressed up. If you want to check that out, there is a link down below you can click on to just just briefly just catch a glimpse of what we look like right now. Um, we'll do our best to describe it, but I'm not going to be dressed up by myself. I have actually, I have enlisted our co-host with us every single week to help me out today and joined by our local food systems and small farms educator, Katie Parker and Quincy. Hey, Katie. Hey, Chris. How are you doing today? Good. Did, did I get, all right. Did I get it right? Local food systems and small farms educator. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yes. I had to think about it for one second because yes, so. Words confuse me. Sorry. So, <laughs> Katie, what are you dressed up as today? I'm a beekeeper. We had all these bees in our office this morning, so I had to go put my outfit on. Oh, no. I see <laughs> them flying around you right there. Oh, right? They still, I didn't get them all out yet, but what about yourself? But, are, are you a unicorn or are you a sea creature? I am uh, an attempt at a unicorn, though oh. I, the ears are the only thing that indicate that I might be a unicorn. My tiny ears, otherwise, without them, I could be a narwhal. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'll put my ears back up. Uh, so. Unicorn by day, narwhal by night. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's my dual personality. Yes. <laughs> Um, and so, uh, you know, we have to also welcome our resident pirate here. Ken Johnson, horticulture educator in Jacksonville. Hey, Ken. Hello. How are you? <laughs> I was waiting for the R. 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 mateys. Is that better? <laughs> well, Ken, did you borrow all this from from the from the kiddos today? I did. I raided the closet. What's your pirate name, Ken? Redbeard. Red. We'll go with Redbeard. <laughs> Redbeard the pirate. Our, the, the rest our, of the show, that? we must That's refer right. to Ken as Redbeard. <laughs> Redbeard. All right, Redbeard. You 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 know you you pillage, you plunder, and then you also spend time observing the moths that do accompany the flames at night. Because why not? So, um, well, guys, this is a hostful episode. We have a couple topics that we are going to discuss. We're going to be diving into soil testing, jumping worms, insects that love to be outside, but then come inside when it gets cold out. And then what do we do with those Halloween pumpkins? So we got a lot to dive into, but guys, I have to, I just have to share this. Um, I sent you this email a few weeks ago. We missed the boat on this one. Speaking of Halloween, dressing up, being something that you, you really want to be, something inside of you. There is this podcast called Garden Plots with Skeletor. Oh my goodness. We missed the boat on that one. That's what we should be right now. Did either of you, you don't, you really shouldn't listen to this, but did you, either you listen to that? I haven't listened to it yet. It is on my list of things to do though. <clears throat> Maybe when we're done here, I'll listen to it. I listened to like part of an episode, episode, but I, I didn't watch Skeletor. So I had to look it up. Before yes. I well, so a little backstory for folks and that we're not be like we're not like in cahoots or anything with them at all it's just, just something i thought was really cool um there's a guy who is pretending to be skeletor who is giving pretty decent gardening advice as he's being skeletor as he's managing his minions 
hating on He-Man. All the while, he is like tending a garden. And so it was, it's like, it's really interesting. Sometimes it can be hard to get through an episode, but uh, I don't know. It, it's just, I found it fascinating and I, uh, it's on my to-do list for this one. If we can uh, find a, a genre that we want to go with. Go pretend to be Wookiees. Yes. We can, uh, we can, um, uh, cultivating the stars with the Chewbacca family. I don't know what, yeah, somebody. Oh yeah. I, have you seen, have you seen Star Wars, Katie? <laughs> no. I'm oh my gosh. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So Chewbacca, he's from Kashyyyk and then the Imperials came in and Chewbacca they enslaved is. the Wookiees. So. <laughs> <laughs> I have no clue about anything else you're talking about. <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, yeah, we got to get in. We have to We'll have to dive into and try our our um, uh, exercise our uh, what is it improv bone a little bit I don't know um, but that that would be interesting oh and the other thing I think is it's absolutely hilarious so in the show He Man Skeletor he's the bad guy but um, there's also another bad guy Beast Man um, he's like a minion but in the Garden Plots of Skeletor Beast Man is the dog and so every few episodes he has a segment of plants that are safe for beast man or plants that are not safe for beast man and it's like these are the side effects if beast man would ingest so much of this plant so it's really interesting uh if you want to you know if, if you're just tired of watching us dull you know a pirate a beekeeper and a unicorn tell you about gardening advice you can go listen to skeletor talk to you about gardening <laughs> advice our our views are going to plummet after this chris that's right. I shouldn't have done that. Everyone's leaving. It's like we found a better ship to sail on. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, I mean, with that, folks, let's get into the topics of the day. Um, I, I want to start off with soil testing because tis the season, really. The fall is when we usually do soil testing. Uh, I've gotten a, two emails so far this fall with soil test results and people asking, what does this mean? Um, and for one, it's really important to test your soil um, because if whatever else you're doing, if you're throwing some type of a nutrient or a fertilizer amendment, whatever it is you've chosen, if you don't know where you're starting from, you're just guessing. Maybe you don't need that amendment. And the most recent one I got, all of the readings were way off the charts, meaning they are above optimum soils. Um, now, I don't think that's entirely uncommon in Illinois, but uh, Katie, do you notice in terms of our soil fertility or is there anything that we lack really in this part of the state? I really depend. I think it depends on what you're growing. So like for our garden soils, a lot of times we don't see a lot of deficiencies because I mean, we usually grow the crop and then usually you're adding compost or you're just leaving the plant there to rot. And so a lot of those nutrients can go back into the soil. Um, with corn and soybean fields, we do see because corn and soybean do require higher um, nutrients for growing. And so uh, we can see some deficiencies with that. Uh, I actually had a farmer call the other day and he had a lot of micronutrient deficiencies. Um, so micronutrients we don't take up as in large of quantities as macronutrients, which are nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. Um, and some of that is because like we always 
were taught in college, part of that is because we're no longer applying manure to our fields. A lot of times we can get some of those micronutrients from manure. Um, and this is speaking large scale. So again, in that corn and soybean setting. Um, and another thing is we have the Clean Air Act. So a lot of nutrients such as sulfur we used to get from, um, from factories. So uh, their smokestacks would emit sulfur. And um, we actually, Dwayne just wrote an article about acid rain. Did you guys see that one? I haven't seen that one. Yeah, so that would also go along with this. So we're seeing less acid rain and we're seeing less sulfur deposits um, because of the Clean Air Act. So that required scrubbers on smokestacks, which um, now they emit a lot less sulfur. Oh, well, Clean Air Act brought us less sulfur in our soils. And uh, I guess what well, would be the Clean Water Act actually brought right. us the buffalo gnats. So <laughs> it's working. <laughs> but yeah. I, that's, oh, go ahead. It's pretty rare that we see like in a garden setting or a landscape setting that we see some nutrient deficiencies, but it's always good to keep up with soil sampling uh, just to keep on top of that and make sure that you aren't going to have any deficiencies or that you aren't over applying fertilizer. And I, what you say is a great point in terms of the difference between an, like an industrial use of soil versus what we're talking about here for the most part on this podcast is home garden, sometimes commercial type growers um, who might be rotating in different types of vegetables. But if you just think of the amount of <laughs> the size that corn plants get, Imagine all those resources that they are drawing out of the soil, like, and they're annuals. So their root systems are not like going to be like a perennial that has time to spend resources there. Right. Yeah. So um, just keep that in mind. Also, um, one thing I have seen a couple times now is, and I think it's a good thing that Illinois, what we do here is we've actually taken phosphorus out of a lot of our lawn fertilizers for the most part. That's because I have seen in a couple occasions where the phosphorus results from a soil tester so high, the uh, phosphorus is actually blocking up the uptake of any metal ions that go into either the turf grass, trees, shrubs, anything nearby, because there's just it's saturated with phosphorus and the other minerals, those micronutrients, they can't be taken up by the plant. And I would say in most of our garden soil is really the only thing you probably need to add on occasion would be nitrogen. <clears throat> Everything else you should be fine for. Yeah, I, for the most part, I was taught, hey, you know, nitrogen on a soil test, I mean, it's something that you can look at and see, but it's not the most reliable number. Is that the case with nitrogen results? Yeah, nitrogen, a lot of times you'll notice that it's not included on your average soil test. Um, and that's just because that level can change quite frequently. So a lot of times we'll do our soil sampling in the fall. And so your level of nitrogen in the fall, because it's so mobile in the soil, it's going to be different than when you're planting in your garden in the spring. And so it's not a very reliable number to go off of. If you were curious to know how much nitrogen you have in your soil, um, you can do like a, there's an Illinois state nitrogen test. And so that uh, it's ISNT. So that's a good a good um, way of figuring out what you have for nitrogen in your soil. But I would I would take that sample 
um, earlier in like close to when you're going to start growing. Um, but it's, it's really not probably necessary because it's going to change a lot throughout the growing season too, um, just based off of environmental factors. And if folks do have questions about their soil test results, they can reach out to their local extension office, at least speaking here in Illinois. Um, one interesting tool that our, our colleague, Andrew Holsinger, he showed me, Andrew, had, where does he get these wonderful toys? I just don't know. Um, but Michigan State University has a soil interpretation website where you can actually plug in your numbers, hit the calculate button, and it will generate, you know, are your soil nutrient levels below optimum, optimum, above optimum, uh, and it can even give a couple, you know, basic recommendations. So we can leave a link below to that in the description. And I'll say Dwayne friend also has a video on how to interpret soil test results um, on the, on the Illinois Extension uh, YouTube page. We can put a link to that as yes. well. He also has a nice video on how to soil sample as well. So if you don't know where to get started or how to conduct a soil sample, that's useful information as well. Sounds good. Yes. So we have lots of great resources. And one of those days, the magical unicorn here on the podcast will get his act together and get an actual soil test page up for Illinois Extension. We'll see if I have to use a lot of magic for that one. So, okay. Um. So kind of moving on to a new topic here uh, for, for some of us here, we have uh, a, a, what would we call it? Maybe a new invasive species in our neck of the woods. Ken, what's going on down in your area? It's all chaos <laughs> and just, just going crazy down there. It is. Yep. So recently we had jumping worms show up uh, in Jacksonville. <clears throat> so I got to get to cross that off the bucket list of adding a, a county to the to the map of invasive species. So we had somebody bring a sample in. Um, so yeah, and they're, and it's not just Jacksonville or Morgan County. It's <clears throat> kind of statewide. I think it's 39, 40 counties now in the state they've been found from north to south. Yeah, something to look out for. Was the jumping worm still alive when they brought it in? Yeah, they brought a big old container of them um, and I kept oh, them and I had them alive at my house, just in a container, but the soil was a little moist. Um, and I don't think my air holes are big enough and it just stayed real soggy. And last I checked, there's a lot of mold <laughs> growing in there and it did not smell good. So, so that's the way to get rid of them is <laughs> yeah, do not have them store anymore. them in a container for a long they're, period of time. They're, they're still sitting in the house because I'm kind of afraid to <laughs> throw them away. They yeah. like triple bag them and, and put them in the garbage. Yeah, you're like even throwing them in the freezer, you're just thinking, oh, the eggs though, the eggs could, they could find a way life could find yes. a way yeah so when so jumping worm was confirmed in mcdonough county here this year also you learn more about worms than you ever thought you would ever need to know about worms <laughs> when that happens so ken could you tell us i guess first off do they know in terms of a vector how do, might they have arrived on their property or uh and then how could people prevent that from happening so in this particular case um they were in the neighbor's yard and we had some rain and they were making their way across the driveway to this person's yard. Um, so as far as you know, how they originally got in to the country, I'm not entirely sure, but I know they're, they're commonly and still are sold as fish bait um, because they do wiggle um, rather violently. So they're good fish bait. Uh, but the problem is when people are done fishing with them, they just dump them. Um, then they get introduced into areas that way. Uh, if you're 
sharing plant material and you've got jumping worms in your yard, like dividing plants and sharing those. You could be sharing the worms if you're getting soil uh, from somewhere bringing that in. There could be worms or eggs in there, um, potentially mulch. Um, so there's a lot of different, like a lot of the other invasive species, humans are spreading it um, far and wide, whether intentionally or unintentionally um, in the case of jumping worms. And then I, I guess other than jumping and slithering like a snake and being large and gross, <laughs> what issues do they cause for, for us here in Illinois? Yeah, so when they're feeding in the soil, they'll feed on organic matter and they're quite voracious. So a lot of times they'll turn that soil and that kind of looks like a consistency of coffee grounds. So they kind of mess up that soil structure. It doesn't hold water and nutrients as well, um, which can cause issues, cause erosion, um, stuff like that. I think the big concern is with forested areas because they are feeding on that organic matter. They're getting rid of all that leaf um, debris and stuff on the forest floor, which a lot of our native species have evolved um, with. They need that uh, and that, <clears throat> that the forest floor count becomes kind of barren, uh, makes it difficult for a lot of our native species to survive. Um, in home gardens situation, it's a concern, but it's not probably as big of a concern. Uh, like Katie mentioned, we're adding organic matter, we're adding mulch, we're, we're kind of replenishing that stuff. Um, so I think a lot of times we can keep up with it. Um, yeah, listen with some of the stuff Chris Evans has done. Um, he's kind of the go-to person for Illinois right now. I think he's been sent some pictures of turf areas in the Chicago area where they've gotten high enough and they've started to see some turf damage. Um, but I think a lot of cases that's kind of the exception, at least in residential settings. Uh, and as far as kind of corn and beans, I think the jury's still out a little bit, but I think with with the tillage practices and, and stuff like that, I don't think it's as big of a concern there either. Mm -hmm. I, and I took the the worms the person brought in, I took some videos of that so I can I can splice that over myself right now when I'm editing. <laughs> so you can see them thrashing around. It's kind of, I think, I think it's kind of cool, but I realize I'm the exception to a lot of these things being cool. Most people think are gross. Well, did you pick them up? Did you feel how strong they are? They're, yeah, they're usually, yeah, the worm just kind of like a wet noodle, but mm -hmm. these things are, you can, you can feel them moving around and, and trying to get mm -hmm. away from you. It's kind of, there's some solidness to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then as they're thrashing, they're, I don't know the quite the right terms. They're dorsal and what's the underside? I don't know. Ventral. Ventral. They're two different colors. So as they thrash, you see these flashes of color, kind of a lighter color, darker color, lighter color, darker color. So that's a really good telltale sign. And again, they slither like a snake. They destroy your soil. They'll fight you. They have boxing gloves. I don't know what else. Um, and another thing with the, with the identification is that with the clotellum, so that band you see on a lot of worms, that's going to be lighter in color um, and it's not raised. It's the same kind of height of the rest of the body. And it's completely around the worm. Whereas a lot of the other worm species we have like night crawlers and stuff that's raised and it's not completely around the body. And typically it's further back um, from the head compared to the jumping worms and stuff. And as an aside, depending on where you are in the state, all of the worms you have are non-native, um, you know, further North you go, the fewer worms we have because the glaciers got rid of them all. So if you're in Northern Illinois, I think pretty much all your worms are introduced. They're not native to Illinois. Exactly. That's a great point. 
Well, another topic that tends to be happening at this time of year is when the insects who are doing just great outside, I love them out there, they then decide to come into the home. Um, Ken, you had an interesting uh, question come into the office of, was it, oh, sorry, not Ken, Redbeard. You had an interesting set of questions come in about millipedes uh, in a house. Uh, describe what that was all about. So, yeah, so this, this couple had millipedes all over their kitchen. So I don't know, I'm not entirely sure how or why they, they said, you know, thought maybe they brought some plants inside and they were in there, but they said they didn't bring any plants in. Um, I would assume, you know, the millipedes are looking for somewhere to overwinter. Maybe they've got <clears throat> their door sweeper, something's got some holes in it. They were able to make their way under uh, something like that, but they've made their way in. I think they said they had dozens of them mm -hmm. um, in the house and, and well, pretty much anything that's coming into your house over the winter, it's not really a health hazard. They're more of a nuisance. And with millipedes, they're typically they're feeding on our decaying organic matter. So they're not going to be feeding on your house or or on you or your pets or your kids, anything like that. Um, so that's kind of a, you know, sweep them up, put them outside. Um, if you're okay with touching them, pick them up. And since they're not insects, you could put down a, a barrier spray, perimeter spray on your house. Um, but since they're not insects, some of those chemicals work better than others because um, they're not formulated to kill millipedes. They're formulated to kill insects. Think kind of complicate matters if you're going to use chemical, but you really don't need to just, just sweep them up, put them outside. Katie, has the brown marmorated stink bug made its way to you yet? Is it there at all? You know, we um, we trapped for them last year, so we know that we have them in Quincy, um, where I'm located in Ursa. It's only 20 minutes, about 20 minutes north of Quincy. We don't have them. Um, and then about 20 minutes north of us in about Warsaw, Illinois, they do have them. So currently uh, where I live in Ursa, we don't have them, um, but I hear you have them, right, Chris? Oh yeah, they are <laughs> thick in my area, yeah. I open the door, our sliding patio door, and you just get rained on by the stink okay. bugs that are trying to get into the house. But you live close to a wooded area, right? Yeah, our backyard is wooded, and then right next to it is a corn, well, uh, yeah, it was corn this year, corn this year, beans last year, so, I mean, we, both sides of the coin there, from the right. commercial ag to, there's really CRP land, wooded yep. and prairie, yeah. Oh, yeah, they, they are here. <laughs> yeah, with our trapping last year, um, we put it in areas where we had hoped that we wouldn't find any and we didn't find any. So that was good that we still don't have them in those areas. Uh, but I would say it's only a matter of time before we do have them. Yep. Being that it's just, the area is just surrounded by areas that do have them, so. Yep. I pick them up by the handful. I mean, they, and <laughs> I was actually showing my wife this last night. She's, cause no one in my house will touch them except me. Um, I, I picked it up and I, I showed everyone like, okay, here's its head. And I showed them their mouth part, the proboscis that's folded up underneath of it. Like, this is what it uses to eat. It can't hurt you. There's no stinger. And as I'm saying that, it stunk me. And uh, <laughs> and it's fine. It, it doesn't really wash off. It just sort of fades away. Um, but yeah, I'll just pick them up by the handful and I'll smell horrible and I'll throw them outside. 
and then probably 20 minutes later they find their way back in who knows but yeah, you don't necessarily want to smash them that's that's the one thing to avoid do they smell worse than ladybugs what is it is it the male ladybugs that emit a stench which one is it is it i'm not sure if it's red both of them do it or who who actually does it but i, don't I think know. a stink bug smell worse but that's just really? i don't think yeah. i've ever smelled a stink bug i oh, can bring, bring some, some to you if you want yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in grad school we used to um we had count soybean pods a lot and so you're just like sitting under the canopy of soybeans and you the things you'd find and i found um stink bug eggs and they're just really cool on a soybean leaf Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, because they're a type of a shield bug, right, Ken? They have that shield shape to them. Um, they have there, a lot of other pests related to And there to are them. some predatory stink bugs, too. So there are some beneficial stink We're, bugs. Just because you see one doesn't mean, well, if they're trying to come in your house, more than likely it's one you don't want. But. Weren't brown marmorated, like, introduced because they thought they were going to be predatory? It was either brown or brown marmorated, I think, were introduced because they thought that they were going to feed on something else we have a native brown species i thought brown marmorade was accidental but i could be wrong too like that the the multicolored asian lady beetle getting into your house Mm -hmm. were purposely introduced because they feed on aphids typically in trees so they were brought in to control aphids and orchards and stuff and that (laughs) kind of backfired yeah they go uh, they go to town on soybean aphids (laughs) And the soybeans get harvested, and here they come. But the good thing is, neither of those reproduce in your house. They're just kind of hanging out until it warms up. That's right. Yeah. Neil, I mean, yeah, the stink bug, it, it, it can't hurt you. It just doesn't have that ability. It can make your hands smell bad. Um, ladybugs, I've only been bitten a couple times by a ladybug, and they do bite, but it's not like it's going to, it's not like your hand's going to fall off. So. <laughs> Yeah. And, and for both of them, if you're cleaning them up, I would not use your good vacuum cleaner mm-hmm. to do that because they release that stink and it gets caught in that filter. And then every time you vacuum, you're going to smell <laughs> So either sweep them up or get a, a special vacuum. Get your bug vacuum. Are you speaking from experience, Ken? <laughs> no, I, I just leave them. They don't bother me. But <laughs> I have heard from other people that you, that you get that stink kind of in your, in your vacuum and it's... Mm-hmm. You're, well, it's kind of like, you know, at, at Christmas, if you have a live tree and you suck up all those needles every time you turn that on for a while, it smells like evergreen. Oh, I almost forgot. I found a queen yellow jacket in my house. So I might remind me how the life cycle works, Ken. The queens, they birth a new generation of queens to overwinter. Those queens leave to overwinter somewhere and then they start a new nest next year. Is that right? Yeah, and a lot of times it's in like rotting logs and stuff. You can find them a lot of times. Yeah, they'll overwinter and they'll start a new colony. Yeah. Um, in the spring, and they don't reuse their their colonies from last year. So if you've got one in, in a certain part of your yard this year, I'm not going to say never. Because <laughs> I get myself in trouble doing that. But they typically do not reuse those nests. How can you tell she's the queen? She um, she's a bit more pubescent and she's longer than the others and her color is okay. a little bit different um but she's definitely yellow jacket um and we have a nest in our backyard and i flagged it um we we're gonna treat it but it 
it stung it stung my four-year-old once that was probably not good but um that we hadn't found it at that point uh but they never bothered us after that i flagged it everyone knew to stay away so it was never a big deal but i've noticed the so we found the queen in the house the other day and now the nest is fairly quiet i did poke at it with a stick they're still in there they came out to see who was poking on their nest but um yeah i mean it's just something you have to be just cautious of is one part of nature's beauty and a little bit of danger. <laughs> yeah, we've got one in our backyard. I think after we get a frost or two, I'm going to dig it up just mm -hmm. to see what they look like. Get to it before the critters get to it. Yep. Well, so Ken, uh, we get spiders, we get uh, stink bugs, lady beetles. What is there a, a general recommendation that we say to folks to keep them out of your house? Is there anything that we can do? Um, it, it kind of your typical seal all your cracks and crevices, mm -hmm. you know, make sure your door sweeps or don't have holes in them or gaps at the bottom of your door. Um, probably not keeping your windows open much this time of year, but <clears throat> make sure there's no holes in your screens. Uh, check around like your dryer vent, make sure there's no holes they can get in through there, your, um, your soffits, stuff like that. And, and more than likely, you're not going to be able to completely seal up your house to keep everything out something is going to find their its way in eventually um and if they do you know just sweep them up put them back outside or or let them live in your basement they'll be fine down there and most of them are going to reproduce in your house so you don't have to worry about a big explosion you know your stink bugs lady beetles won't um spiders may or may not depending on the spider um crickets you know the the black ground crickets those won't reproduce if you get the the camel or the cave crickets they can reproduce inside, but a lot of your things that are coming in for the winter aren't going to reproduce in your home. Yeah, a camel cricket in the hair when you're sleeping in the middle of the night freaks you out, though. Just <laughs> heads up. You, you feel something land on your head and you grab it and you're like, ah! Yeah. Speak from experience. So um, kind of one, one last topic here. Um, is a, a question we, we got asked actually by uh, somebody on social media regarding what can I do with my pumpkins? And I think the main, the, the actual question was like, like the reuse of pumpkins. And they were specifically asking about like pumpkin seed as deworming, um, which sent me down a total rabbit hole of what do you do with pumpkins after you've carved them into jack-o'-lanterns? Um, I, I, I did not even think about this, but, but, but realizing millions of people are buying multiple pumpkins across the U.S., which means that there's likely billions of pumpkins that need to be disposed of at the end of Halloween or October. Um, so what do you do with all these pumpkins? Um, well, a lot of them go to the landfill where they create methane, which is a problem, um, but it to, to kind of answer the, the deworming question, um, I, I did look into it and um, checked with the vet sciences folks on campus and it's not a dewormer. I mean, there's no, let's say, let's say uh, the best scientific ways you can, there is no evidence to indicate that this at all has any type of deworming capabilities. It might support conventional deworming medicine, but uh, it would not replace it. But uh, Katie, what do you do with your pumpkins out in Ursa? Uh, well, we like to save some of the seeds 
Um, and then we usually compost them. So uh, the village of Ursa nicely has an area where you can take your yard waste. And so uh, they'll gladly accept pumpkins there as well. So we take it to that compost facility, um, which is a good option of, of if you have a local compost facility or if you have your own compost bin uh, at your house, that's a great place to go with them. Exactly, yeah. That was kind of the number one thing that I found in looking around was composting your pumpkins. Um, like you said, you can do a municipal compost, backyard compost, University of Illinois Extension in Cook County, they are actually hosting five different pumpkin, what, pumpkin toss, pumpkin chunkin? Pumpkin smashes. Pumpkin smash, that's what mm -hmm. it is, yeah. Where you bring your pumpkins, some of them have like catapults, you can like catapult mm -hmm. into the dumpster, or you can just toss them from your car, whatever you want. Um, but yeah, then those will be taken to an actual commercial composting facility. So that's, that's pretty cool. And this, the organization that does it is called Scarce. They, is it in the Chicagoland area? Yes, definitely. They say anyone in Illinois can participate. They are willing to work with anyone across the state to host one of these pumpkin smashes. So maybe it's too late this year, but think about it, folks, for next year, having a pumpkin smash event in your community. Uh, we can leave a link below to the Scarce website uh, if you want to check it out. Yeah, and if you want to find, if you have a local pumpkin smash near you, I think you can visit that Scarce website too to see if there's a local place where you could take your pumpkin with the pumpkin smash. Ken, do you have anything anything specific that you do with your pumpkins other than smashing them in, in anger, you know, in your pirate's rage? Usually they sit outside until they rot so much that we can't even pick them up anymore. So they just compost. Snow shovel. Where they we shovel them into the, the wheelbarrow and take them. Compost in place. Compost. Yeah. <laughs> and we usually, we usually, when we scoop them out, we save the seeds, but we roast them. We don't grow them or anything, so. Our uh, producer, Wendy Ferguson, mentions uh, also using them as a wildlife food source. That's definitely something you can do, avoiding making sure you don't use like a bleach cleaner or something on them like that. Taking any of your decorative items, your candles, any of the wire stuff you might stick in there out. Um, Eating pumpkins. When, yeah. Yeah. Uh, when I, I chatted with Emily Steele, who, who worked with folks on campus to get this information, uh, she talked with uh, some folks on uh, uh, with the livestock veterinary group, mentioning how well should we be feeding these to livestock, and they really said avoid any type of like rotted pumpkins, anything uh, like Ken Redbeard's pumpkins. You want to avoid feeding that to any animals, just because it's rotten, it's mushy, there's mold and stuff growing on it. So you don't want to be giving that to animals, um, just for a food food safety thing. So yeah, just just try to avoid that, and and don't be tossing pumpkins in the ditch. Um, where you might draw animals closer to the road and do not be tossing pumpkins outside of your property. You know, in nature preserve, that would be illegal. Um, they have to deal with pumpkins sprouting in a nature preserve, which crowds out native plants. They have to deal with straw usually that gets dumped in nature preserves and having to clean that up. Um, so making sure that you're just disposing of them responsibly and sometimes, yes, that might mean putting them in the trash can, but if you can compost them, that would be ideal. Well, that was a lot of great information. So this was a wonderful host, hostful uh, today. I'm uh, so happy that I was able to be joined by uh, a beekeeper and a pirate. Um, this is something a magical unicorn dreams of. So uh, the Good Growing Podcast is produced by Wendy Ferguson and edited this week by Ken Johnson, or aka Redbeard the Pirate.
uh, Katie Parker, Ken Johnson, thank you so much for being on the show today and for dressing up. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's good to see you guys in a, a different manner today. Yes, it was, it was good talking with you too, uh, Katie and Magical Unicorn. Let's do this again next week. We don't have to dress up though, if you don't want to. <laughs> oh, I will dress up next week. We are going to be talking about cleaning up the garden. Uh, so we're going to be be hitting that a little bit. We've had a little bit of controversy about that. Someone saying, hey, go ahead and cut down your perennials. And other people say, no, no, no. What should you do? Well, we're going to talk about it next week on the podcast. So listeners, thank you for doing what you do best. And that is listening. Or if you're watching us on YouTube, watching. And as always, keep on growing.